Welcome to the Lessons Learned from Donald Trump podcast. This thing is huge. It's the greatest, most outrageous, incredibly fun podcast on the internet today. It's all about the Donald, the most spectacular entrepreneur alive today. For entrepreneurs who also want to dominate their market and destroy their competition. I'm Steve Cypress, here with my co-host, Everett Farnell. Back again with my esteemed co-host, Everett Farnell. Everett, I'm totally excited about today's topic. It's just, it's going to be uh, a great topic. It's, it's going to be different than every one, every other topic they've ever heard of anywhere. It's just going to be the best. Uh, we're just, we're going to make podcasting great again. That's all. We just it, are because we are. It, and, and I'll tell you what, by the time we get done with this podcast, nobody's going to see this coming. They're not going to have any idea what we're talking about. And it's and and they're going to figure out that it's it's just amazing. It's going to hit them right out of the right out of the blue. Well, and actually, we say that because that's today's topic. It's being unpredictable, being a total wild card. Now, again, the the pundits and the experts and the naysayers put Donald Trump down for this, and they might do that to you too. Oh, you know, he's a wild card. You never know what he's going to do. That's actually sour grapes. That's actually one of the best things Donald Trump has going for him is his opponents have no idea what he's going to do, or else. Come on now, you'd have to say, he, he actually, by definition, he was the least experienced of the 17 candidates for the Republican nomination. He was likely the least qualified, and yet he just trounced them all, and part of how he did it is they don't even know how he did it. They didn't know what he was going to say next. They didn't know what he was going to do. I'll give you an example from my life. I, as a, a kid, and I still am, but as a kid, I was a real serious game player. I was uh, on the chess team at school, and I uh, entered and won all kinds of tournaments, playing all kinds of games. You name it, I was playing it from uh, backgammon tournaments and chess tournaments and Monopoly tournaments, and I was playing any game there was. Uh, I joined organizations where there was going to be game night, and every week we would go to somebody's house and, and pick, and someone would bring a game in the wrapper, brand new, that no one ever played, no one knew the rules. We would open it up, all learn it, and see who could figure it out and the strategy of it. In fact, my first multi-million dollar business was a game. It was a fantasy sports game company. I just love playing games and figuring out how to win, and I can tell you this from experience. The most frustrating opponent is the Donald Trump-type opponent that I hope you're going to be also. It's the opponent where you don't know what they're going to do. I tell the story of playing in a backgammon tournament where, you know, if anyone's played backgammon, I mean, this, this is a board game. So there's only a certain number of spaces and a certain number of pieces, and there's only a certain number of numbers on the two dice that you throw, and you pretty much... Everyone knows all the odds and knows all the moves by the book that everyone's supposed to do in every single circumstance. So you're going along through the tournament. I remember getting towards the finals of some tournament, and uh, the guy playing me uh, would roll the dice, and let's say he rolls a six and a two, and then he doesn't do the move that he's supposed to do. I mean, clearly, you're supposed to move this way when you're in that situation and you roll that number. It might have even been the opening move. I mean, it's just so obvious this is what you're supposed to do. Everyone does it. Anyone who's any type of player knows that's the move, that's the odds, that's what you've got to do, and he does some harebrained crazy move. So the immediate reaction I had is the same immediate reaction that every opponent to Donald Trump had, and I predict has from now on and through his life in business and in politics forever, is... They laughed and scoffed at him and said, what a fool, and downplayed him and said, you know, he won't last. He doesn't know he's going to be easy to beat, doesn't know what he's doing. What a pushover candidate. No problem. I can't wait to run against him. Oh, he's the, oh for months, it was he's Democrat's dream. 
oh, the Democrats can't wait. Well, I predict over the next five, six months you're going to see a whole, you're already seeing a whole different stuff. They're already having so much more respect from saying, you know, actually, uh, he's going to be tough. And this is going to yeah. be a tough one. But, oh, look how that changed. So that, that changed for me, but it changed too late. I sat there and I poo-pooed this guy and said, yeah, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what to do. He kept making moves that were unpredictable and not by the book and not what you're supposed to do and not to the odds. And lo and behold, he beat me. And well, I didn't know what hit me. I was just like Jeb Bush and all the others. I didn't know what hit me. And I was like, how am I out of this tournament? Oh, I was obviously vastly superior to this guy. So I can tell you that your competitors looking at you do not want to see. They want to see that you're always doing the same thing because then they can figure out how to beat you. So you've got to stop doing that and you've got to start being unpredictable like Trump. There's a great quote from Mark Twain uh, from a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. It says, he said, the best swordsman in the world doesn't need to fear the second best swordsman in the world. No, the person for him to be afraid of is some ignorant antagonist who has never had a sword in his hand before. He doesn't do the thing he ought to do, and so the expert isn't prepared for him. He does the thing he ought not to do, and often it catches the expert out and ends him on the spot. Oh, um, that's, a, that's so. another great example. It's the same example I remember reading when I was growing up in New York City in the 70s, where it was like a war zone. And uh, that was in the days when Curtis Sliwa, who's my age, he started the Guardian Angels. I, I met him once, and I told him. Uh, I was speaking at a conference and backstage, and I told him, I said, you know, man, we're about the same age, I and mean, he's a year older than me, and we were both growing up in New York at the same time, in the same circumstances, and we had the total opposite approach to the problem, so I really commend you and respect you, because I left, and after I graduated high school, I moved to Boston. I just said, I'm getting out of here, and I left New York, never to return, and he stayed, and he fought, and he put together a group that courageously fought to end that in New York, and I told him straight out that, that respect I had for him, but I remember reading something that he counseled that when you're alone late at night walking down the street in a dangerous neighborhood, here's what you do. You pull your, your pants down halfway. You twist your, you wear your jacket inside out. You uh, wear your hat crooked. You mess up your hair. And you walk down the middle of the street singing at the top of your lungs like a total crazy person. And you act you were like you were a complete, absolute, lunatic, crazy person. He goes, no one is going to mess with you. Right. No one wants to mess with a crazy person, which is a similar right. to what you told and what boxers say. You know, Mike Tyson or others say that. They, the unconventional fighter, no one wants to mess with them. You don't know what they're going to do when you throw a left hook and they're supposed to do this, but they don't. No one wants to fight that guy. Well, it's the same in politics. You're seeing it with Trump, and it's the same in business. So having an example in business, Everett, of a way that you have zigged when the rule books did the zag, and it brought tremendous success. Let's talk. Uh, uh, in the roofing business, <laughs> the normal idea, uh, the normal thing that everybody wants to do is find a way to sell, uh, is find a way to, to get leads as cheaply as possible. We want to, you know, we want to uh, spend as little money as possible and get the most leads that we can get. Um, I used to spend between well, 100 and 100. Well, fairly universal of all businesses. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, this is my personal specific um, uh, example. Right. But, um, uh, but yeah, you're right. Most business owners think this way, and that's why I used it. That's why I chose it because it's a, uh, it's an example that is that will translate nicely because everybody thinks that's the holy grail, cheap, cheap leads. I, on the other hand, would spend, before my salesman got to the house to sit down in front of them, I would have spent somewhere between $100 and $150 to have them sit down in front of that customer. Uh, and that was to generate the lead, depending on the lead source, to generate the lead, 
to then print up a bunch of information with uh, a, a very beautiful four-color thing and with uh, a, a huge folder, though, not just, not just a fly, not just like a trifold, a huge folder with long-form copy in it that would be FedExed and, they, you know, it would arrive via FedEx uh, the next day after they made the appointment. And, uh, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of money on leads to generate that and, and did everything I could do to soften the beachhead. So that when my salesman got there, they were already, you know, the customer was already predisposed to buying from us just because nobody else had given them, they, they, they hadn't seen that show from anybody. And they saw it from us. <laughs> and they were expecting a higher price. So when the, when, the, when the salesman got there, and two people went, by the way, I used to pay, the salespeople were consultants, and I used to pay to have somebody else ride along with the sales to do the crawling on the roof and the crawling through the attic and stuff. And uh, roofers are notorious for... Um, uh, for having their salespeople do all that stuff and then just paying a commission. So they don't pay the salesman every, and they think, okay, great, good. Now, well, again, I, not only out. roofers, but every sales every, manager yeah. and every business notorious for that nonsense. Yeah. So, so what I would do is I would send somebody with the salesman who would do all the shit work and crawl through the attic and crawl across the top and then come back and give a report to the, to the now consultant. He wasn't a roofer. Well, that, yeah, that elevated your sales was a consultant. And, um, uh, so, so now that when, when we hit them with the price, which was 60% higher to 100% higher than, than most of the other roofing companies in the market, when we hit them with that price, they didn't freak out. They didn't, they kind of expected it because they got a beautiful four color thing that, it, that, that explained everything. They got a very nice presentation that explained how, why our roofs are so much, uh, uh, so much better that a roof is not a roof is not a roof that the way you apply the roof, the way you put the roof on and the materials you use to put the roof on are critical. And uh, so we use the whole roofing system and we use stainless steel nails and we use this and we do that. And so by the time we got done, they were expecting a higher price. So everybody's thinking, how can I get a, how can I get in front of somebody as cheaply as possible? And I'm paying 100 to $150 plus labor for the guy to drive around with the salespeople to go out and to see the customers. Uh, and we went from, when I bought into the company, we were doing $200,000 a year. That was in August of 2010. So we finished up 2010. We went through 2011. And in 2012, we did $1.94 million before I sold the company. Well, first of all, congratulations. And second of all, that's not only is that a great example, because it's transferable to every other type of business, because it's very general. It says mm -hmm. that when, because, again, it's just common. And as a listener, you're probably thinking to yourself right now, yeah, that's how I look at it. I'm looking to get things, get my leads and get my sales as cheaply as possible. Uh, I just had this happen. I had somebody ask me for help, and they said, uh, you know, I'm looking to, this is the email I'm looking to send to my prospect. What do you think? And I was like, I'm not going to read. I mean, how, how much do you think the, the prospect could be worth to you? And, of course, you've got all the excuses and the hemming on, well, that's difficult. Of course it's difficult, but it's your job to know, first thing, how much, just like you had to know, before you could spend that 100 or 150 bucks to get in front of your roofing prospect, you had to know how much are they worth. Right. Otherwise, what if they were worth 80 bucks? Well, then you, you could, of course, you could get them all and go out of business because you couldn't spend 120 to attract someone who's worth 80. So I asked this guy, you're sending an email, what's the sale worth? And after hemming and hawing and whatever, and it took him days, and finally he comes back and something about, like, oh, it's uh, you know six figures and this, and I go, six figures, six figures. you're going to send an email. <laughs> so you're looking to net profit on a $100,000 job, $100,000. You won't take $99,980 and send them a FedEx. 
Wow. You won't take $9,900 and send them $100 worth of videos and testimonials and a, what a, you, you know, the stuff that you sent them, trifold brochures and whatever, before the salesperson, I mean, you wouldn't even have to, like, do a follow-up and beg them this and that. I mean, you're sending a message when you send an email, or what I can't stand is when people think, oh, I do a newsletter, I send an email newsletter every week. Like, nobody reads those. And even yeah. if they do, their feeling is like, oh, who cares? I mean, but it, when you send an actual piece of paper in the mail, a print newsletter, even if they don't read it, they understand you have, you care, you value them, you put a stay, you paid for a stamp, you paid to print something, you sent it out. Of course, you can take that and put it online for free. You don't get anywhere near the goodwill and the results from that. Right. It, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and here's the thing is that what we want to do is we want to learn how to maximize the we want to learn how to maximize the value of the customer so that we can do all that crazy stuff so that we can I, I mean if I was if I was making a hundred thousand dollars sale are you kidding me I, I mean I'd, I'd spend 50 grand if, if that was my business and we were selling hundred thousand dollar widgets and assuming a reasonable you know assume, let's say it was a 20 percent uh, a 20 percent uh, net net profit on it because you know you never know what what it but let's say it's a 20 percent net profit so each sale is worth twenty thousand dollars actual cash in the pocket. I wouldn't have any problem spending fifty or sixty thousand dollars on a beautifully designed, um, uh, you know, beautifully professionally shot video with with all the bells and whistles, and, and then send that out in like a DVD player. So when they get, so when it gets there via FedEx, and it's like open this now, you open it, and it's, oh, and it starts playing, and you have, you know, and you're spending a couple hundred dollars to do that, but uh, you know, or send them a computer, send them a computer with a DVD thing in, and when they start the computer up, I have have uh, have some kids. Well, so here's you know, what we're talking program. about. We're talking about being unpredictable. Yeah, it kind of goes a little hand in hand with what we talked about last week about testing. Test these things out. You're, you're, here's what you don't want. You don't want your competitors to be able to see your entire selling, marketing, business process. You want them to see what's known as the front end, to see only right. what the eye can see, how you're attracting an initial sale, and you want them to respond and say, that guy's crazy. That's what you want. Yeah, you insane. want them to see your stuff and go, he's going to go out of business. How can he give away all that? How can he mm -hmm. send somebody that $100 worth of stuff just to get an appointment? He's crazy because they don't see everything you then did to follow up and the sales script you had when a person showed up and the fact that you sent two guys instead of one and everything you did to maximize your sales, which made that 100 to 120 bucks nothing. It made it a drop in the bucket. But to the competitors, they're sitting there going, I ain't doing that, and that's the response you want. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or, or even better yet. And I'm sorry. I know I got off on a little bit of a tangent with how to market that. I'm just, I'm still stunned that a guy who's making that kind of money on a on a sale would would want to send an email. But uh, anyway, well, but that's the, the, what we see with Trump. So that one of the um, yeah. one of so, the uh, that was actually a criticism you, of Trump. We saw the the other candidates, and now we'll maybe we'll see it with Hillary or Bernie or whatever the heck's going on. Uh, that were criticizing that Trump would simply do a flyover. That he would fly in, do a big thing, but he wouldn't do the grassroots, face-to-face, -face, sit there in a diner and meet everybody type of politics that takes the time and the energy and the money to put into it. He wouldn't do that. He got criticized for that. We're saying to do that, to do all kinds of different things, to, to spend more time, more money on your marketing. But you see how Trump was unpredictable. He just didn't do anything by the book. He didn't use any data. He didn't have big teams on the ground. He didn't have, uh, you know, headquarters in every state preparing for six weeks before he showed up. He didn't have all everyone robo-dialing and phone-calling and whatever. 
he just it seemed like he was flying seat of the pants, and that's what I told the story in the beginning about playing against someone in a tournament. You talked about the quote from the swordsman from Mark Twain. Like, that's com- com- competitors, opponents don't know how to deal with that when they have no idea what you're going to do. Here, here's what you do. Here's, here's what, the, here's what the, the, the listener can actually do. Sit down and make a list of everything about your business that this is how we do business around here. This is how we do business in this industry. This is how we do business in whatever. Make, uh, make a list. There's, there's going to be the, you know, the norms, the, the, the best practices, as they sometimes call Whatever it is, make a list of everything that you can think of in your business and in your industry. And when I say in your business, I mean between the four walls in your actual business and then also in your industry and in your town, etc. And then figure out a way how you can violate every single one of them. Stay ethical, stay legal, but figure out how you can do what, you know, and, and go down and start violating all the rules of your business. Not the laws, but the rules. Go down and start violating every rule about how business is done around here and the city and the town and the industry and the everything and uh, and watch what happens to your bank account. Well, you know, that's a fantastic way to end this week's episode because that's the exact opposite of the topic of next week's episode as as of course Everett knows before he just said that, so he just uh, teased it and introduced it perfectly because we're going to talk next time about how Trump breaks all the rules and how specifically how you can too to have massive success in your business the way Trump is making mincemeat out of any opponent that comes his way and having massive success as well. And when I say massive, I mean huge, massive, terrific, tremendous success. I mean, I promise you, it's going to be massively huge. It's the most amazing thing ever. It's the most amazing campaign ever, the most amazing podcast ever. It really is just the best thing out there right now and will be the best thing out there ever. Yes, and if you think that podcasting is a certain way to do podcasting, we're going to break all the rules of that on our next episode, and we'll talk to you then. You've just listened to the most terrific podcast on the Internet today. If you want to be a winner like Trump, make sure you go listen to the rest of the episodes by going to LessonsLearnedFromDonaldTrump.com. And join us next time. Unless you like being a loser. Some people do, I guess.